Well, it's great to be with you here today. Uh, a lot of memories in this building and with Northwest Baptist. Uh, years ago, I worked as the youth pastor at Sunrise Baptist, which is in the same uh, conference as Northwest, and so uh, had a number of uh, interactions at CYF rallies and whatnot with the, uh, the youth from Northwest. Uh, it's just great to be here today. Um, just a bit about myself. Uh, married 23 years. We have three kids. My wife actually works at Hillcrest. She's the arts coordinator there, so she's at work this morning. Uh, our three kids are with us today. Addie is 18, and Zach is 13, and Amy is 8. So if you see them holding up some scorecards, that's how we roll. Well, let's pray together, and then we'll uh, jump into the Word. <clears throat> God in heaven, we just come before you now, and we thank you for who you are. You are good. You are great. And we don't take lightly this privilege of being able to speak with you. You say in your word to boldly come before your throne of grace. Wow, what a great and glorious privilege it is to come boldly before you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Father, this morning we acknowledge that there are difficulties all around the world today. We're mindful of what's happening in Afghanistan. We're mindful of what's happening in Haiti some of these global concerns, Lord Jesus, and we say simply in the Lord's Prayer, Father, Lord God, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Help these people who are in need, in desperate need this morning. Thank you that this is a praying church, a sending church, a loving church that reaches into their community for years, Lord Jesus. Father, this morning now we pray that you would open up your word. Give us receptive hearts, receptive minds. Let us apply what we study today. Help our lives be different on Monday because of what we study in your word. And we say in Jesus' mighty name, we say amen. Amen. Eighteen months ago now, I was excited because I had a big, big book launch coming. I work these days as an author and an editor in the book industry, and a book launch is kind of the the big piece of a a book's progress. It takes about two years to prepare a book, to write and research a book, and then have it all edited, and it goes to the copy editor. And then finally, it's printed and it's shipped to bookstores, and the book launch is its release when the book actually comes out. And a book launch is exciting. I had a great book called Blaze of Light. It's about Gary Bikrick, a Green Beret Army medic. If you ever saw Hacksaw Ridge or read the book Unbroken with Laura Hillenbrand, my book was right in that same genre, military nonfiction, about a man who had done noble and heroic things on the battlefield. Gary received uh, for his efforts the Medal of Honor, our nation's highest and most prestigious act Uh, award given for acts of valor. And Gary is a wonderful man. He's chaplain of the Medal of Honor Society today. He's a genuine believer, lives in Rochester, New York. And Gary and I interacted many, many times throughout the course of preparing his book, his biography. We had him over to our house here in Bellingham. My kids met him, and it was just great to have Gary here. So I was excited to have this big book launch. This book was finally coming out. And the success of a book launch depends largely on publicity. You prepared a good book, it's got a good message to it, you want to to get out there to the world, 
And so you need uh, people to write about you or you need to appear places to have people uh, become aware of the book. And so there was a lot of excitement surrounding this book. It was called the, the lead title. The publisher had, had, had created it as, as the lead title for the month of March. And that means they're going to put a whole lot of energy and effort into this book. And we had big TV stations lined up. And we had big newspapers who were going to write stories about us. And we had a, a big book tour, book signings in many different cities in America. This book was going to be huge. And I was really really looking forward to it. The precise date of my book's release was March 20th, 2020. Here's the funny thing in retrospect. I mean, it's funny now. Funny now. It wasn't funny at the time. History has shown that in, in all of printing, I mean, we're talking since Gutenberg on forward, there has never been a worse month ever than March 2020 to release a book. <laughs> Never. COVID hit. Bookstores across the country closed. We couldn't get in the news cycle anywhere. Uh, all of our book tour canceled, 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 canceled. And so our book kind of launched. But I confess, personally, feeling Disappointment, disappointment, disappointment. And that was only the beginning. That was only the beginning for all of us. The world over, schools were shut down. Businesses suffered. There was widespread economic uncertainty. There was hoarding of toilet paper. (laughs) You know who you were. (laughs) Gatherings were prohibited. Churches closed, the borders were closed, anniversaries, weddings, vacations, birthday parties, graduations, all were affected. And then, of course, any number of people got sick the world over, and of course, tragically, many, many people died. And these past 18 months have been a time of suffering, of disappointment, of loss, of grief, and suffering is a, is a relative scale. I mean, some people have simply lost a book launch. Other people have lost loved ones. And yet I bet if we had an open mic here and just passed it around this room, I bet every person here this morning would have some kind of story of loss due to COVID. And so what do we do? What do we do? Today we're experiencing mixed news Mixed news, businesses are reopening, people are gathering again, and yet there are many cautions, many uncertainties. The problem is not yet fully solved. One observation I've seen in my own life, simply, is that we're definitely not out of this yet. We've come a long way, but we're not out of it. And I think COVID, just in my own life, has taken a toll. I find myself a little bit out of practice in social settings these days. Seems kind of funny to talk to a large number of people. I've been in social situations where people have been a little bit raw in how they interact with one another. Overall, it seems that our reserves are depleted, many of us. The gas in our tank is low. We're still experiencing this residue of loss. In a word, we need 
Restoration. Restoration. Something was lost and now it needs to be restored. And it's going to take more than a three-day vacation to recover that. We need ongoing spiritual renewal. We need healing. We need our lives, in many ways, put back together. And so the title of this message this morning is simply a prayer for restoration. It's a prayer for restoration. Ongoing restoration, because restoration often doesn't happen overnight. How can we be restored? So this morning, I invite us to turn in our Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 gives us a glimpse into restoration. What might restoration look like? And certainly, this is not the only answer in Hebrews chapter 12. We could have gone to Psalms. We could have gone to a number of places in Scripture. And yet, Hebrews gives us a beautiful and clear example of what restoration might look like for us, what we can do in the process. Certainly life change uh, it comes from God. It flows through us. God is really the one who is doing the work in our lives. It's grace-oriented. It's God-empowered. And yet we do have a responsibility in this process. We can lean into the work of God. We can agree with God. We can say, yes, as you are restoring our lives, I will do these things as well that you are empowering me to do. And so Hebrews was written to people who were going through hard times. And that's why I turned to Hebrews this morning. These people knew about loss. These people knew about disappointment. These people had experienced grief. And the writer of Hebrews comes along and says, there is encouragement available. There's encouragement available today and there's encouragement available tomorrow and there's encouragement available after that. There's ongoing encouragement available. So let's look at this passage together. Hebrews chapter 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. He started our faith, and he's going to take it through. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How can we be restored? The writer of Hebrews gives us, really, in this passage, three actions that we can take, three God-empowered, grace-filled actions we can take. And the first is simply this, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The action is throw it off. It's like you're wearing this big uh, ski parka in winter and it's in summer and it's really warm. How strange would it be if we all came to church this morning in the summertime with big overcoats on? <laughs> it wouldn't take too long before we took off our overcoats and we threw them aside, we cast them aside. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, when it comes to things that hinder our lives and when it comes to sin, the sin that so easily entangles, take that sin off, throw that sin away. See, the pattern is this in our lives. When something uh, difficult occurs, when we experience loss, when our book launch didn't go according to plan, it's easy to feel a negative emotion. It's easy to feel loss, discouragement. 
uh, disappointment. The negative emotion in and of itself isn't wrong, right? Jesus wept. Jesus experienced the full gamut of emotions. It's what we do with that negative emotion that's important. And all too often, the pattern is this. We experience loss. We have that a negative emotion. And then we want to be soothed, naturally. We want to be comforted. And so what do we do when we want to be soothed, comforted, encouraged? Well, Hebrews indicates, look, we go to things that hinder us. We go to the this, this sin that so easily entangles us because sin always looks good. Sin always offers us this big lie. Come to me, the sin, and I will give you rest, the sin says, and it's a lie. I will make you feel better, says the sin. I will encourage you, says the sin, and it's a big lie. And so we follow that pattern, loss, negative emotion. I want to feel better, I'm going to go to this. And the writer of Hebrews says, careful, watch out. Do you want to be encouraged truly? Do you want ongoing restoration? Then challenge that pattern in your life. Challenge that pattern. I have lost this, and therefore I'm going to turn to that which hinders me. Maybe it's an illicit substance that you turn to. Maybe it's simply a negative attitude or a perspective that you take on life, grumbling or complaining. Maybe it's simply a show on TV that when you watch it, you kind of feel yucky afterwards. It's not an overt sin, but it's something that hinders. The writer of Hebrews asks, do you want to be restored? Then throw that off. Throw that pattern off. In contrast, 2 Corinthians 1.3 says, God is the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles. 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all of your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. And so here's this new pattern of restoration being laid out for us in scripture. When we experience loss, grief, disappointment, it starts with prayer. Lord Jesus, you tell me that you are the God of all comfort. So I don't want to go to that which hinders me. I don't want to go to that sin that so easily entangles me. I want to turn to you because you say in your word that you are the God of all comfort. You say in your word that I can cast my anxiety upon you because you care for me. Lord Jesus, by your grace, by your power, Help me to do that. I want to be restored. I don't want to turn to that which hinders me. Help me, Lord, each day, each moment of each day to turn to you. How can we be restored? First, we throw off everything that hinders. And secondly, as Hebrews says, we run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. We run with perseverance. This gives us an action to take. Some people, when we look at this verse, are saying, oh, oh boy, that's, that's all I'm doing these days, right? That's all I'm doing is persevering. Well, perseverance in this case is not a bad thing. It's an encouragement from Scripture. Sometimes <clears throat> this is the pattern in our life where we go, I'm in this particular situation, and the going is getting tough. And so when the going gets tough, my inclination is to walk out the side door. Here I am uh, in my job, and my job is going hard. My boss is being, you know, the way he is, 
and I just, I have to flee. I just got to get out of here. My marriage right now, oh, my marriage just, oh, Lord, the pressure is on my marriage. Such a difficult time. There's so much disappointment in the world, and it's taking a toll within my family. Boy, there's a big temptation when the going gets tough. I'm going to walk out the side door. Uh, Maybe it's something as simple as your small group at church. Lord, right now, there's just, boy, we get in our small group, and it just seems like there's problem after problem after problem, and I, I got to find a new small group. Well, the writer of Hebrews says, look, do you want to be restored? Here's an extra gear you can find. Run with perseverance. Run with perseverance. Stay the course. This road is actually marked out for you. It's not that God is the author of evil, but that Jesus wants you in this situation for a particular reason. And now certainly there are, there are toxic situations, there are abusive situations, and the writer of Hebrews is not stay, saying stick around and, and, and get smacked around. Uh, if you're looking for a good book on that topic, I, rec- I recommend Gary Thomas's new book, uh, When to Walk Away. It really walks readers through that whole experience of toxicity and when to walk away. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, look, for normal life, for regular life, difficulties will come. Fight that temptation to flee. Instead, ask the Lord what he wants you to do there. It may be that God wants you in that hard job because you are the only salt and light that that job knows. God wants you with that difficult boss because, boy, every time you're with him, you are praying for him in your mind. Oh, Lord, help this guy because he needs you just like I need you. And maybe uh, God wants you to stay in that marriage. Absolutely, God wants you to stay in that marriage even though it's difficult because God wants you to be the parent and the husband or the wife that he is uh, calling you to be, though the road may be difficult. Stay in that small group, absolutely, because God is going to do an amazing thing in your small group, and he's going to lead you through a hard time together. And and during that time, you're going to praise him in the storm. You're going to weep together in your small group. And there will be a time where everything is made right, either on earth today or sometime in heaven, but it's going to come. Hebrews 10, 36, and 39 says, you need to persevere. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what you've promised. We do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. How can we be restored? Throw off sin first. Run with perseverance second. And thirdly, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Such a positive step, such a positive action you can take, we can take. Fix your eyes on Jesus. What does it mean to fix our eyes on Jesus? What does it actually look like in our day-to-day lives to fix our eyes on Jesus? Years ago, after I finished in youth ministry, I worked for a newspaper. I was a general assignment reporter, and I covered everything and anything uh, during the five years that I worked for a newsroom. If there was a murder in the city, boy, I would go and cover that murder. If there was a new flower shop opening in the city, I would go cover that flower shop opening. One day I was uh, tasked to go uh, 
tell the story of a young man who had recently been elected to office. He had become an elected official. And so I went and I talked to this man. We met at a, at a uh, uh, coffee shop. And uh, I had my reporter's notebook with me with a bunch of questions that I'd written down for this young elected official. And I would ask him a question, and bam, he would have an answer instantly. And I would ask him another question, and bam, he would have another answer instantly. And it was kind of like ping pong after a while. Question, answer, question, answer. This guy knew how to answer questions. This guy was in the business of, of answering questions. And much to my surprise, my delight, every once in a while, this young politician would use the word faith. Well, yes, I'm a Christian, and my faith uh, is a big piece of my life. Yes, my faith uh, helps my platform. Yes, faith is important to me, and, and uh, that's one thing I help to do in my job as faith drives service. Great, fantastic. You're talking about faith. So as he's using this word, faith, 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 I decided to ask him a question that I hadn't written down earlier. And it was simply this. Uh, you know, hey, uh, you used the word faith a number of times. I'm curious, um, what would you want our readers to know about Jesus? I thought this was a pretty innocent question. I didn't mean to put him on the spot. But it was funny when I asked this question. This man who was so full of answers went quiet. It was clear that no reporter had ever asked him this question before. It was a secular newspaper. He didn't know I was a believer. And, and he went silent, and he, he kind of, uh, he kind of uh, I could almost see him squirm as these mental gears were kind of going, okay, how do I answer that question? In other words, when I think about Jesus, what comes to mind, right? And he kind of squirms, and he kind of squirms, and he kind of squirms, and finally he says, and this is a direct quote, word for word, he goes, um, uh, you know, that whole uh, turn the other cheek thing, that was his answer. Now, I don't mean to disparage this man. I mean, he, he was put on the spot. But after I left the interview, it got me to thinking, wow, if I had been asked that question, how would I respond, right? And it gets to this verse in Hebrews, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Well, what does that mean? I mean, if you're sort of trying to articulate to yourself and in your thought life, yeah, I'm not going to think about this and this and this, and I'm not going to go to the sins that so easily entangle me. Instead, I'm going to run with perseverance this race marked out for me, and I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. Well, what does that actually look like? Well, it means that I'm going to have some mental images in mind that are biblically supported that help me think about Christ. In other words, Jesus comes to mind, I'm going to go here, or I'm going to go here, or maybe I'm going to go here, but definitely I'm going to have this, this vision in mind of who Jesus truly is. Because it's really easy today to have images in mind of who Jesus truly isn't. I mean, if you're sort of you know, walking down the street in downtown wherever, and you were to ask anybody, hey, you know, what do you think about Jesus? I bet they would have an answer or two or three or 10 or 20. And maybe that answer would be truthful or maybe it wouldn't be. Oh, Jesus, he was a good teacher, good, uh, something like that. 
Well, Jesus, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's always pointing a finger at people and his followers. That's what they do. And Jesus kind of condemns the world. And, uh, you know, if that's Jesus, that's the image I have in mind. Jesus, yeah, Jesus. Well, he is associated with, I don't know, that movement in history or that, I don't know, that something or other, Right? I mean, that's kind of what we get today. That's what we hear in the media. That's what we hear sometimes from our friends and our neighbors. Think about Jesus. Oh, sure. I've got an answer to that. Who is Jesus truly? How can we fix our eyes truly on Christ? Well, let's start at the beginning. Let's start at the book of Genesis. Does that surprise you if I said Genesis? <laughs> Often when we think about Jesus, we think the starting place is the baby in the manger, right? Christmas story and all. But really the Bible indicates that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, he was around and he was active and he was doing things, big things, long before the incarnation, long before God became flesh wrapped in the skin of a baby, right? How do we know this? Well, Colossians 1, 15 through 16 says, For in him all things were created. For in Jesus all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth and visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Hebrews 1, 2 says, God in these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom also he, God, made the world. God made the world through Jesus. That is heavy stuff, right? And I don't pretend to know all the ins and outs of how that works. I mean, I believe in astrophysics, right? Thank God for astrophysics, right? And I don't know how the second person of the Trinity created astrophysics and then used this system to create the universe. But that's what Scripture indicates happens. Theologically, it's heavy. I mean, God, when we think of God, uh, Scripture indicates that God is one. There is one God, and yet God exists in three persons, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and, and how did God the Father create the universe through the second person of the Trinity, through Jesus, through the Son? I, I don't know how that all worked. But I know that that's what Scripture tells me. All things were created through Jesus and for him. So I'm going to fix my mind on Jesus. I'm going to start at the beginning. And there is Jesus at the start of time, before time began even. In the beginning, God, through Jesus, created the heavens and the earth. I don't know about you, but that encourages me. That excites me. That this Jesus whom we worship, he was there. He was powerful. He was creative. God through Jesus said, let there be light, and there was light. God through Jesus said, let there be a sun and stars and a moon and planets and galaxies and solar systems and quasars and black holes and cosmic superclusters. God through Jesus said, 
let the earth across the vault of the sky uh, exist. Let the land produce living creatures. God through Jesus said, let there be a man and woman and let them have intelligence and free will and creativity. And God through Jesus declared that all that Jesus had created was good. This is the Jesus whom we serve. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the creative God who started it all. Or how about this? Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus is the transfigured Lord of glory. Jesus is the transfigured Lord of glory. We go to Matthew 17. It records the story of Jesus taking three of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, up a high mountaintop. And there before him, he was transfigured, Scripture says. His face shined like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. A bright cloud covered them. And a voice from heaven, God the Father, said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. The disciples' response, when they heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up. It's okay. Don't be afraid. This is the Jesus we serve. In our house, we, we try and draw a, um, uh, a balance between teaching our kids about the, the transcendence of God and the imminence of God. Now, that is big theological words, right? It simply means that God is both close and far away at the same time. Right? God is the lofty king of the universe. And when we speak to God, we want to keep that in mind. It's not just rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub, thank you very much. Remember who you're speaking to, right? You're speaking to the Lord of glory. And yet so wonderfully, uh, Jesus is God with us. The virgin shall conceive and bear forth a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel, which means God with us. Yes, Jesus is always with you, closer than a friend. Both and, both high and lofty and close to us at the same time. Here's an application of that. I confess for myself, I confess for us corporately, that far too often when I'm praying, I'm really interested in what I'm praying about. In fact, I'm more interested in what I'm praying about than who I'm praying to. Lord, I just uh, need this new job or I need this new contract to come through. When I was a single man, Lord, this relationship, oh, so important. I'm going to pray about this person night and day. And Lord, boy, if you really could see what I'm seeing, Lord, you would know that this person is the person for me, right? And I'm really going to concentrate on this person, this person, and this person. God says, hey, guess what? Fix your eyes on me. And when we gain a sense of this, our prayer life changes. Lord, my eyes are fixed on you, Jesus, high and lofty, closer to the brother, the great king. You know I need this job. You know I need this contract. Lord Jesus, what do you want to do through this situation? How do you want to glorify yourself your name, your renown. Help me live for you through this situation. Lord, you know this relationship is important. My eyes are on you. And if this relationship works out, great. If not, hey, I'm going to believe that that's from you. Lord, my eyes are focused here. My gaze is unswerving. You are the Lord of glory. You are the transfigured Lord of glory. As Peter, James, and John saw you, let me see you. 
high and lifted up, radiant like the sun. This is the Jesus whom we serve. How about this? Jesus is full of love and grace and restoration. See, in that original pattern we were talking about here, the, the, the loss happens, right? The, the book launch doesn't go so well. We experience that negative emotion, that dismay, that loss, that grief, whatever it is. And then far too often in that, in that effort to soothe ourselves, comfort ourselves, we turn to that which hinders us and the sins that so easily entangle us. I think that's very clear in Scripture. I think it's very interesting that the writer of Hebrews says, look, sins easily entangle us. I mean, sins aren't hard to get into. Sins are easy to get into. And when that pattern sort of sees its course, then we're kind of even more miserable. Restoration, the restoration that we've been longing to have doesn't happen. (laughs) We're actually more upset, more grieved. Oh, Lord, (sighs) do you know where I've been? Do you know where I've done? Oh, good grief. This again? (sighs) And we start to feel that we're finished, that we're canceled in the eyes of God. Oh, surely I've blown it, and I've blown it again, and I've blown it a second time, and I've blown it a third time, and these sins that so easily entangle me have tangled me now. Surely I am finished. And Scripture says, no, you're not. Scripture says, no, you're not. John 21 records this wonderful, amazing story of the apostle Peter. And you remember Peter, right? He's the apostle. He's kind of full of of himself, He's kind of full of bragging, kind of this big, rough, tough fisherman. Oh, yeah, Jesus, if you want something done, I'm your guy. You can depend on me, Lord, right? This is Peter. Those other guys, yeah, they may deny you. They may may fall away, but not me. I'm your guy. And Jesus, during the Last Supper, says, actually, Peter, I hate to tell you this, but this very night, You're going to deny me, not once, not twice, but three times. And as the story goes, sure enough, Jesus is arrested. He's led to his execution. And Peter is in the courtyard there. And there's this young girl who comes up to him and starts questioning Peter and saying, surely you are with Jesus. Surely you're a disciple of Christ. Surely you know the man and Peter is emphatic, nope, not me, don't know Jesus, don't want anything to do with Jesus, I don't know Jesus, you surely have got the wrong guy, Jesus, he might be over there, but I'm over here, I don't want anything to do with Jesus, and surely that right there is the essence of sin, sin in Peter's life and sin in our lives, Jesus is crucified, He's buried and then triumphant, takes hell for us on the cross, comes back to life again, the resurrected Christ, walking on earth again, seen by more than 500 people, Jesus alive again. And Jesus meets with Peter. The first time it happens, he's at the beach. Peter's gone back to fishing. Well, I don't know what to do now. I've blown it. I've denied Christ three times. I don't know what else to do. I'm going to go back fishing. 
And he takes some other of the, of the disciples with him, and they get out in a boat, and they fish all night long. And these are experienced fishermen, but all night long, they don't catch anything. And they try this, and they try that, and they try something else, and nothing. They've had a long night of nothing. You ever had a long night of nothing? Trying to do things on your own? Convinced that you have denied Christ and it's all finished, you're done for. There's Jesus on the beach. He's got a little campfire going. He's got some warm bread that he's just bought from the the bakery. (laughs) Sea of Galilee. He says, hey, guys, uh, you in the boat, they don't quite recognize him. You caught any fish? <laughs> Jesus knows the answer, right? It was his equivalent of saying, how's that working for you? <laughs> Trying to do life on your own. Come to me then. Come to me. Come to me. So they come ashore and, 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 they, and they've caught a bunch of fish by now because Jesus has created this miracle. And Jesus says, hey, bring some of the fish you just caught. Let's have some breakfast on the beach. And when breakfast is finished, Jesus has that so important conversation with Peter. And I think this is one place in Scripture where, where what Scripture doesn't say is so important, almost as important as what Scripture does say. <laughs> because, because what Jesus doesn't say is this. Jesus doesn't say what we would expect Jesus to say. Jesus doesn't say what we think Jesus says to us whenever we've sinned. Jesus doesn't say, hey, Peter, you really blew it, didn't you? Jesus doesn't say that. Peter, I hate to be I told you so, but I told you so, didn't I? Jesus doesn't say that. Hey, Peter, you are finished. Peter, you are worthless. Peter, you are canceled. Peter, you are done for. Peter, I don't want anything to do with you anymore. Peter, you are out of here. No, Jesus doesn't say any of that. And praise God. What does Jesus say? Um, Peter, just checking with you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Even though I denied you three times. Good. Good, Peter. Then... Feed my sheep. Again, he says, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, the bragging is gone. I'm a changed man. You know I love you, Lord. Good, good. Um, take care of my flock. Third time. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. You know I, lo- I love you, Lord. You know I love you even though I denied you. You know I love you. Good. Good. Feed my sheep. In other words, you are not finished. You are not done for. You have purposeful work to do. In case of Peter, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create my church on you. Upon, upon this rock, I will create my church, Peter. You are not finished. You are not done for. There is breakfast in the beach. This is the Jesus we serve. This is the Jesus who is full of love and grace and mercy. And even if you follow that path into the sins that so easily entangle, Jesus says, look, there is restoration for you today. I'm not here with the voice of accusation. I am here with the voice of love. 
Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says that. Jesus says that. And this is only the start. This is only the start of this Jesus that we know and serve. Do you want to be restored today? Do you want ongoing restoration in your life? Then throw off the sins that so easily entangle you. Throw off that which hinders you. Don't go to that area. Instead, run with perseverance, that race marked out for you, even though the going is hard. And as you're running, fix your eyes on Jesus, this creator of the universe, this powerful creator, this this transfigured Lord of glory, this, this person who is so full of love and grace that he offers breakfast on the beach. Are your eyes fixed this morning on Jesus? This same Jesus who's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This same Jesus who's the bread of life who sustains and empowers. This same Jesus who's the light of the world. This same Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. This same Jesus who walks on water. This same Jesus who calms the storms. This same Jesus who heals the sick. This same Jesus who gives sight to the blind. This same Jesus who is a friend to sinners. This same Jesus who gives hope to the world. This same Jesus who feeds the multitudes. This same Jesus who said, I have come that you might have abundant life. This same Jesus who says, you can know me and you can know my voice. This same Jesus who says, come to me. This same Jesus who says, I will go and prepare a place for you and I will come back again and take you to be with me. This same Jesus who says, when you believe in me, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water, John 7 says. This same Jesus who laid down his life that you might live. This same Jesus who saves you by his shed blood on the cross. This same Jesus who came back to life again. This same Jesus who makes you a new creation. This same Jesus who says, never will I leave you nor forsake you. This same Jesus who sets you free. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we simply want to do this. Help us all as people who so desperately need a healing touch from you, so desperately need restoration, Lord Jesus. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit working within us, by your grace working in our lives. Lord Jesus, help us to be truly restored In your name, Jesus, we pray these things now. Amen.